new with us or joining us online, we're in a series uh, studying the book of 1 Peter. As you guys know, we love to study the books of the Bible. Um, next month, we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah. And so we love to take scriptures and break them open for you. So I'd encourage you, let me do this as your pastor, uh, study 1 Peter as we're studying 1 Peter together. Um, so that way, hopefully, I can answer some questions for you as you read each week. Well, today we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, it's 1 Peter 1, 13. We recently, so like during spring break, we had this great trip planned to South Florida, down to Fort Lauderdale. And the morning that we got up, it was my birthday, and my wife said, uh, there's been a big problem. I need you to come talk to me. I thought somebody had died. She's like, I mean, when she told me that there's a problem, her face was just like, I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, who, who has died? She said, our flight has been canceled. I said, okay, okay, let's, okay, let's, let's look for Raleigh. We can fly to there. We, well, we look for Raleigh, and there, there's no flights anywhere. That was that weekend that all the flights in Florida, remember, you guys probably heard about that, got canceled. And so we're sitting there um, having my birthday breakfast at Cracker Barrel, eating some pancakes. That was my, my birthday breakfast. As I'm sitting there, she's like, well, why don't we try to drive down there? Our son has never made it more than three hours, four hours. He hates riding in a car. And we're like, what the heck? Let's just try it. And so we did it, right? We survived. I'm still here to tell a story, and I'm still pastoring some sane. But one of the great memories of that trip was, as we were driving down, we kept seeing this sign for a gas station that said, baby alligators at the gas station. And I had to use the bathroom really bad, and I'm driving past all the other gas stations because why? I wanted to find the gas station with the baby alligators. And so she was like, well, you want to stop here? I was like, no, uh, no, we're going to keep going. We've got 10 more. I want to see, and she wanted to see baby alligators, and our son wanted to see the baby alligators. And so we drove and drove till we got finally to the gas station that had the fresh cit uh, citrus, you've been on the Florida, and the baby alligators. Well, I'm here to tell you, we stopped, we spent money, and the baby alligators were a huge letdown. Um, they were in like an aquarium, and it was very small, and we just expected to see something much different. But you know what? They got us to stop. Why? Because they had a sign that said, come see the baby alligators. Well, today I want to show you that how from Scripture, we've got to be baby alligators to a world around us. How you and I can be baby alligators. Well, Peter writes this to a group of believers in the first century. As you know, as you know, Peter followed Jesus closely as we opened up in week one. I had a lot of failures, but eventually Peter became the leader of the early church, the vocal leader especially. And now later on in his life, he's writing to the believers who are now dispersed all across Asia Minor. And now they're facing persecution, suffering's beginning to happen. And so this letter he writes is circulated through all of the churches, and it's read in one sitting. So if you think we read a lot of Scripture here, try having the pastor read the whole book in one sitting. No commentary, right? And so this is being circulated about, and what he wanted to do was to encourage them and help reshape their thinking. These are Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers, all suffering together. And what he does in 1 Corinthians, thir uh, I mean, excuse me, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13, is that he shows them how they should have different values because they're Christ followers, that their life should look different. And I want us to look at what he writes to them. It's very important. He says this, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the grace of salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. And he gives, I want you to watch this here, he gives 
seven actions here that they've got to do. He keeps giving them action statements. He says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back in your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say, and he quotes the Old Testament, their Torah, you must be holy, this is God speaking, because I am holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. Isn't that encouraging? Like, like he doesn't answer my prayers any more than he would answer your prayers. There's not like, I need to go to the pastor because he can really get through to God. I'm, I, you know, my signal's not very good. I've got like one bar. He's got five on his, his prayer cell phone. It doesn't work that way. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now, in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart, for you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. As the Scriptures say, People are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word, uh, the Lord, word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. And what Peter is doing here for them, for the Jews and non-Jews, he's trying to reshape their values. He's trying to get them focused on living for Jesus, not satisfying their own desires. He shows them what they should do, and then he closes by saying, this is why you should do it, because you were bought with a price. And at the end of it, he wants them, he wants them to have a life that honors Jesus. That's the whole point of this passage that he writes to them. And so I want to share with you today, here's what I want to encourage you to know and you to do is this. A Christ-centered life is expressed by a life that honors Christ. I'll say it one more time, then I'll explain it. A Christ-centered life is expressed by a life that honors Christ. Now, if I asked you, do you have a Christ-centered life? You'd probably respond with, eh, maybe, kind of, like here and there. Uh, you know, I mean, let's be honest. But all of us would love to get to a place where our life is more centered in Christ, right? That's why you're here. You can only do that, though, by honoring Christ with your life, by living a life that honors Jesus. That means in everything you do, you're asking the question, is this honorable to Jesus? Is this honorable to my fellow brothers and sisters around me, the human race? Is this honorable? Because here's the problem. In our society, we've been taught this, and nothing wrong with this. I understand the layout, which is we have this kind of linear progression of our relationship with God, which is God first, family second, 
church third. Like You've heard that, right? And I understand that, but the problem with that is, is we create the sacred and the secular with that. Well, God's first. I have my relationship with God. But that doesn't infiltrate any other of what we call circles of your life. You have your marriage, you have your relationship with your children, you have your job, you have your recreation, you have your friends. And so a lot of us will say, yeah, I have God in my life. That's great. The problem is you have your God circle, and this is part of your God circle. And you say, well, yep, yep I've, I've got God first. But it's not infiltrated anything else. There was a country uh, preacher who told the story. Very rural, rural southern area, which is one like I grew up in. A little boy was in Sunday school class one day, and the teacher noticed he had a dip in his mouth. <laughs> and she pulls him out. She gets his dad from his Sunday school and comes. She says, Billy was over here. He, he's dipping. He said, Billy, get out your mouth. I told you never do that in church. <laughs> and like, yeah, that, that's that thinking is that, oh, don't do that in church. Don't say that in church. You know, don't, because we have come to a place where we don't have Christ-centered lives. And let me explain this. Christ-centered life is this. You don't put Jesus first. You put him at the center of every circle that you have. Don't put Jesus first. Amen? Some of y'all got, put him at the, that means at the center of your marriage, it's Christ-centered. And so you ask the question in marriage, is this honoring, honoring to Christ, the way that I'm treating my wife or my husband, and is this honoring to the people around me? Is this, does this honor Christ? That's in your marriage. With your children, do I have a Christ-centered relationship with my children? What's your job? Am I Christ-centered, and do I honor Christ at my job? Is it a mission field for me, or is it just a place to get money that I complain at all the time? I know none of you do that. That's the church on the street, those people. I'll be there next week, and I'll preach that to them. With your friends, is it Christ-centered? Most of my friends are non-believers. I hang out with non-believers on purpose, but it's still Christ-centered. Because I'm looking for opportunities to be able to share the gospel. Now, here's the difference between a Christ-centered friendships that are with non-believers and those who don't. You ask the question, is this honoring to Jesus? So when I'm playing basketball with guys who start telling really lewd jokes and they're all laughing, I choose not to participate in that. I choose to, I'm teaching my son that right now at seven years old about how do you do that in a secular environment? How do you keep Christ centered even in your friendships that aren't Christian? And I asked the question about this, is this honoring to Christ if I laugh at this joke and is it honoring to those I'm trying to reach? You see where I'm going there with that? And if you ask the question, does this honor Christ, it goes back to you having a Christ-centered life. And that's what Peter is trying to get the believers in the first century to get to. It stops compartmentalizing your life where it's like Jesus is, is part of my church life. And I, yeah, I, I read the Bible sometimes, but all these other compartments are my own. My recreation is my own. That's, your recreation should be Christ-centered. Where you, it, I, I was out on a kayak last week in the Outer Banks. You know how it was Christ-centered? I paused and thanked the Lord for, number one, the ability to do this, just to, to kayak. I thank them for the beautiful weather, and I turn it into a time just of personal worship and pause and reflection, because I want God in my recreation. I want God in everything that I do, not just at first of my religious life. Does that make sense to you? And I want to help you do that today, because I believe deep down inside the heart of every follower of Jesus is we do want to have a Christ-centered life. 
And friends, I'm not perfect in this, but I'm asking that question more often. Is this honoring to Christ, and is it honoring to those around me, right? And so how do you do this? You do that by building a life where you have Christ-centered values. Let me talk about that, Christ-centered values. If you want to have a Christ-centered life, there's got to be Christ-centered values. Now, 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 values are this. Every family has values. In two months, we're going to be doing a series called Preaching to the Choir on Thrive's Values. Like, every family, if you go, you talk about how did you grow up, how did you do, you know, what did you guys do? There's values. For instance, I'll talk to parents all the time and say, well, I can't get my kids out of the bed and away from video games. They don't want to go outside. Well, you never took them outside when they were younger. So it's not a value of your family. Like, like usually, unless it's, like if, if a kid plays sports, it's a value to the family, right? So the, the dad or mom probably did it. If you don't, that's fine. But like us, my son has been hiking since he was four months old. My wife has a picture of him in this thing, you know, <laughs> babies are four months old, and, and she's hiking to the top of a mountain, you know, with him on there. That's just how he's grown up. He's had no choice. That's a value of ours. It doesn't have to be your value. But he's going to grow up always having memories like, yeah, that's normal. Like, you don't hike? Like for him, a normal thing for us as a value of the family is that we love Jesus and we serve Jesus and we follow Jesus, and he can't fathom why other people don't love, serve, and follow Jesus or even believe in Jesus. So there's values. My dad, we grew up pretty poor. Uh, matter of fact, we were so poor, we were poor because we couldn't afford the O and the R on the end of it. <laughs> I mean, seriously, we had to make our own ketchup, right? I mean, I, mean I, I couldn't afford blue jeans, had to wear jogging pants. I mean, we were pretty poor. And my dad, one thing he did was he was very efficient in everything that he did. Even for his job, that's what he did. And eventually he became successful because he was so good at it. But what he would do is we didn't buy napkins. We bought paper towels, and he would tear the paper towels in twos or threes and stack them because they were cheaper than napkins. And that's what you said. So my wife, you know, y'all laughing. My, my wife, when I got married, I did that. And she's like, what are you doing? Don't tear the paper towels up. And I'm like, babe, no, no, no. I mean, this is how we can save money because that was a vow. Our family is all about saving money. She didn't have to worry about that. But I'm all about how do we save the extra dollar? How do we like make things last? Don't waste anything. This is crazy. Like I'm just, she's always getting on me because that's the value we grew up with. And I said all that to say this because that's my family of origin. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new family of origin, and you have a new heavenly father, and you have a new family, and that family has values, and you'll find out Christ-centered values when you break open the Word of God and understand what God values. My dad valued efficiency. If you want to find out what our heavenly father values, you've got to open the Word of God and then begin to reshape your life around that. To have Because here's what values do. Values will dictate what you say yes to and what you say no to. That's what values will do. If you value something, let's say you, maybe you value like you want to retire early, you're going to say no to some expenditures now so you can say yes to later, right? Maybe you value health, so you say no to certain foods and things because there's a greater value that you have, Right? Maybe you value a certain recreational activity, like maybe you really love boating or golfing or something, so you say no to other things so you can do that. That's what values do. And if you're going to have a Christ-centered life that honors Christ, you and I have to have Christ-centered values because values dictate behavior. If you want to change behaviors, change values first. The worst thing you can do to somebody is just say, stop doing that. Do something different. 
because they have a value system that has created that behavior. There's a certain, and, and listen, everybody has value systems. Uh, I posted recently, and I said this, people who go kill people, which we're seeing in America a lot, and it, it's on, I mean, we, we, I, mean again, I don't care who you are or what you're doing. People are going to Supreme Court justices and trying to kill them. They're going into churches and schools, and they're, they're killing people in grocery stores. It's crazy. And I had a philosopher friend who's an atheist. He said they've got very strong values. I said, they have no values. You know how it is with Christians have values. They have no values. He said, no, no, no. He said that they've got very, very strong values. And their values are this. I have the right to hurt someone that I don't agree with and someone who I feel has given me injustice. That's their value. And that's why they do what they do. Somebody along the way or a group has taught them, you hurt people who you don't agree with, that you're angry with, and you feel like it caused you injustice. You have the right to kill them. That's a value that they've inherited, right? From somewhere and from someone that they feel, I don't, I don't share that value. I don't believe that I have that right to hurt or kill someone who I'm angry with, I disagree with, or even has caused me injustice because I serve a, a, a God who will exact justice one day, and it will be greater than any justice that any court can hold on this earth. Amen? But that's my value. They don't have that value. So understand this. Values dictate what you say yes to and what you say no to. The reason many believers are not Christ-centered and they don't live lives that honor Christ, they don't have Christ-centered values. They don't know what their Heavenly Father values. They don't know the things that He wants. They just make their own values up as they go. And here's my fear, and here's why this is important. Because if we don't have Christ-centered values, then the world won't know our lives are centered in Christ. If you don't have these values that reflect your Heavenly Father, the world won't know that you have a life centered in Christ. What do you mean? Many of us as believers are secret agent Christians. <laughs> Nobody knows you're a believer. <laughs> then finally one day you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I follow Jesus. They're like, you? Really? And they laugh at you. Because <laughs> your life is no different than them. You complain on the same level they do. You cuss like they do. You tell dirty jokes. You go to Hooters. You do all the things they do. And they're like... Why do I need to follow Jesus? I mean, you're just as bad as I am. Because there's no Christ-centered values. See, see, it should be to the point that people are like, I knew something was different about you. Man, you, you're just different than everybody else. And, and that, that's what I, I don't tell people I'm a pastor up front. Never do, especially in playing sports. I don't. And finally, after eight years, one of the guys there found out I was a pastor. He's very irreligious. And um, he's very uh, hands-off. And when, when somebody told him, because one of the guys saw our Facebook ad, and now we're friends, he, you know, and, and he's like, I'm going to come to church sometime and all that. He told the other guy that, and the guy's like, yeah, I noticed you don't really cuss or do anything like the rest of us, man. He's like, yeah. Well, he's like, oh, I guess it makes sense now. I was like, because I was scared he'd say something different. <laughs> Just being honest. And couldn't find out his, his, his daughter's a minister at a church here in, the, in a local area. And I was like, oh, how awesome is this? Because I want to reach that guy. See, when you have, have Christ-centered values, the world will know something's different about you. That's why this series is called Different. And my fear is, is that if we don't begin to shape our values on Scripture and value what our Heavenly Father values, the world's never going to see it. 
They're tired of us shouting at them. They want us to show it to them. They're tired of us saying that we're believers. They want to see that we're believers, right? And it only happens when you begin to shape your values there. And, it, it, and people see something different. My, my best friend shared the story of why he came to Jesus initially. It was because of a girl. There was a girl he really liked, and he asked her out. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't date you. You're not a follower of Jesus. And I gave my life to Jesus, and I love Jesus, and I, I, I want a man that follows Jesus. And so some time went by, and he really thought, he said it's the first time ever he ever took Christianity seriously because somebody said no to something because of Jesus. He'd never seen that. And she said, I can't date you because I love Jesus. And he went and began to explore Christianity, ended up giving his life to Christ. No, they didn't date. He never dated her. Never went back. <laughs> it didn't end like that. But he tells the stories that Christianity for the first time ever clicked because someone was willing to be brave enough to say, I won't do that. I won't go to that place. I can't laugh at those jokes. I can't. See, values will dictate what you say no to. And the world may not like it, but they'll know that you're different. So how do we do that? And it's this here. It's living holy. That's what Peter brings it down to. Be holy for God is holy. And living holy means living at a higher standard, raising the price tag of your life, not cheapening the gospel through lowering the price tag and being like everybody else, everywhere else. It's saying, you know what? I am going to live at a higher standard. Matter of fact, girls, let me just say this about raising the price tag. I, I, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you feel like about yourself. But can I tell you something? You're worthy and you're beautiful. And you don't, you don't ever cheapen your price tag for some guy who wants to lower your price to get you in the back seat of a car. Amen? You raise the price tag and say, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand I'm wonderfully and beautifully created. I am chosen by God. I'm called by God. And I'm sorry, but if you want to date this, the price tag's a little higher. I ain't going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I have values. And if you want to find, and I'm telling you something, you will attract people who are willing to pay the price for that. Do you get what I'm saying? That's just a sidebar. That you know what? I'm going to have a higher price tag. That's how eBay works, man. They sell, they sell like old jeans on there. <laughs> and people will pay lots of money for them. Why? Right? Because the price tag's higher. And they put a value on it. And the same thing is true when it comes to us following Jesus and living for Jesus is that the Lord calls us because of us centering our life in Christ and having values. You've got to live at a higher standard. You have a higher calling. And here's what Peter writes to them, just to recap in verses 14 through 16. He says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now... You must be holy. That word means be set apart, higher standard in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. He's set apart. He's the highest standard. For the Scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. So how do we do that, guys? We're going to live out holy values. We're going to base our life on values because we're chosen. We're called. You're precious. God has called you to a higher standard. And what Peter does is he gives four values here that those believers in the first century have to embrace 
and we have to embrace too. And the first value he shares in verse 17, I'm excuse me, verse 13, is the value of self-control. He says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Let me just tell you this. God will never do what he's commanded you to do. He will never do for you what he's commanded you to do. And many of us are praying prayers like, God, do this for me. And God's like, I've kind of commanded you to do it. Now, will he help you through the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes, he will. The Holy Spirit will help you. But self-control is being able to say no to things that the world says yes to. Being able to say, no, 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 I have a higher standard. So he calls them, first of all, to prepare, prepare their minds for action. It starts with your mind. And then exercise self-control. Here's the second value. It's the value of reverent fear of the Lord. I know this sounds old school, but verse 17 says this, so you must live in reverent fear of him. What does that mean? Does that mean you're scared of God and, oh, God, I better do something bad. He's going to strike me down. No, that's, God's not the cosmic sheriff. I've said this before. He's not waiting for you to, you know, run the stop sign and then he's going to pull you over. Ah, I saw you cuss this week. Here's a ticket for you. You're in trouble. Brigo asked for forgiveness. I'm watching you. That's how we, do, we view God, though, right, sometimes. That's not what he's doing. Reverent fear, and that word uh, reverent fear, in, especially in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord, it means a, a complete awe that causes you to drop to your knees as you look at awe of him. It's almost like when people go to the Grand Canyon, and I've been there, and I've watched them, they're just like, oh, and they have this respect for what they're looking at. Many of us don't have this respect of God that's a reverence to him. I mean, I, I love the movement that we've had that Jesus is your friend, and there used to be a, a song called I'm a Friend of God, and that's good. But I used to tell our students all the time when I was a youth pastor, and that stuff was all popular about friend of God, I said, look, Jesus is not your homeboy, he's your king. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. He's not bruh or homeboy. And that's how it turned into, right? Some of you guys remember that, 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 that whole time. And that we should have the value of reverent fear of the Lord, knowing that He's our King, knowing that He's our Master, that He's given us everything that we have, and so we're going to honor Him with that because He's our King. The next value that He gives them is the value of temporary residency. This is probably the major point of 1 Peter that He wants to get across to them. That he's trying to get through to them. He says, during your time here as temporary residents. You got to understand this, guys. This world is not our home. The things that we have, you're not taking it with you. The people who we think win in life, I've spoken about this before, are not those who win in God's eyes. It's not those with the most toys, the most money, the most stuff. It's not those who are Instagram models and the people who look successful. And all. It's the people who understand that, you know what, I'm, it's a temporary residency, and I'm going to leverage my whole life to honor the one that I have a reverent fear for. And can I encourage you? What is, this life is nothing but a flash. Gone just like that. For many of us on Father's Day, it's a time of reflection and mourning and grief. Because just like that, boom. My dad died eight years ago. It seems like yesterday. Life is nothing but a flash. And let me encourage you, leverage your life for eternity. Stop putting all your eggs in the basket of earth. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what Peter was telling them. You're just temporary residents. See, you have, you have a new family with your heavenly father. You also have a new citizenship. Your citizenship is not of earth. 
right? You're now citizens of heaven. You're actually a foreigner. You're an immigrant on foreign soil here in America, on earth. That's why you don't fit in, because you are from another place. You're from another kingdom. And one day, we'll get to be back in that kingdom again. But stop putting all your hope in political regimes. Stop putting all your hope in men and people. Stop putting all your hope in your job and and things around you. Understand that this is just temporary. This is not my home for good. And then finally, it's the value of this being bought with a price. And Peter says, this is why we live holy. This is why we have values. This is why we're Christ-centered. Verse 18 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. That was powerful to Jews for Peter to say that. Empty life. To Jews, he called everything they had done before empty. He says, And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Guys, this is the why behind all this that I preach today. Why do you want to live a life that honors Christ? Because He gave His life for you. Your Heavenly Father gave His very best so you could be saved. This is why you honor Him. This is why you center your life in Him. Not because you're scared God's going to, you know, do bad stuff to you if you don't. That's not the type of God we serve. You know, my dad uh, never made it to retirement. He died while he was still working at 65 years old. And my dad wanted to put me through school. Now, when I first went to college, I've told you the story, when I went to East Carolina University, I messed up big time. Got, got pretty much banned from there. Couldn't ever come back again to, to there. Had very bad grades. Had a .9 GPA. That's a lot of hard work to have a .9, I'm telling you. But after I got saved, my dad began to spend his retirement money on my education because he really wanted to get me through. Even if he didn't agree with me going to ministry school, he still, he still, you know, paid for all my degrees. The price was such a high price for him that I wanted to honor my dad. I wanted to make my dad proud. I wanted him to know, because I didn't know he, that, that he'd never make it to retirement. I wanted him to know this, that I'm thankful for what he's done for me. And I'm thankful for every dollar he's put in this education. You know what? Dad, I'm going to honor you. And Dad, I want to show you how much I know you love me. Friends, that's how we should be to our Heavenly Father. The price of Christ was way more than my dad paid for education. Way more. And that's the, that's the stance we should take of saying, Dad, you have literally given me your best, and I want you to know this. I love you. I want to honor you in all the circles of my life. I want to have a Christ-centered life in every circle that I have to make sure that I'm asking the question, does this honor you, and does, does this honor my fellow human being? Does it bring glory to you, God? Am I living holy for you, Lord? Is this what you're calling me to? And that's what I want you to really think about this week as you go out through your week. In all those pockets, how do I have a Christ-centered, Christ-honoring life so we can bring glory to him so the world will see who Jesus really is? Let's pray. Father, we call out to you today. We need your help. We need your help to build our life on these values, to 
confront any circle of our life where we're not honoring you, to confront any circle where it's not Christ-centered. May we bring you into every part of our life, God. Right now, I just want to pray for those who have compartmentalized, and maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, man, I'm, I have this box is my box, and that's the God box. I pray right now that we would unlock every room of our heart and open it all up to Jesus. Let him come and go as he pleases. I pray that right now. God, may we live a Christ-honoring life that brings glory to you where everything is centered in you, Lord. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe you're someone who is not living for Jesus. Whether you're online or in here today physically, you say, I, was, I just want to give my life to Christ. I want to surrender to him, the one who bought me with a ransom. Maybe you walked away from your faith. I'm not sure what your story is, but today is your day to give your life to Jesus. And it's simply praying this prayer. I want you to pray this prayer after me. You say, God, I admit I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. Today I repent. I turn from my old life. I receive new life. God, forgive me of all my sins. Help me have a Christ-centered life now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.